Hey Trinity Life, uh, we are in our mind, the Mind of Christ series, and just as a reminder, we are not trying to tell you what to think, as we've been saying. We've been trying to help you learn how to think, and that's crucial for moving forward because um, the reality is, I like I can't, uh, your R three leader can't tell you in every single situation what to think. And, and so the point of this is to tell you, you have the mind of Christ. It's, it's how, now how do you discern? How do you um, uh, pray? How do you figure out with the Lord and the power of the Spirit um, different theological issues? How do you figure out different cultural issues? How do you uh, just live in this world where there's so many different competing voices trying to uh, conform us and transform us into their image, and how do we just learn how to think? So that's what this whole series is about. And and I know there there may be some like, oh, I wish you just tell me what to think. Here's here's the reality: you don't really want that because when I do that for you, you don't like it. So now I'm trying to tell you how to do it so that hopefully we can release you. You can be released to do that on your own and to discern wisely. Now, as we go through this series, uh, I'm going to drop hints here and there on certain things of, of where I lean and, and all that. But my point isn't to persuade you of anything. My point is to equip you. So um, we're talking today about a topic uh, that we've actually never really dealt fully with at Trinity Life before. I have in individual conversations, but not in a format like this. Uh, We're talking about hell. And that came up a lot in your sermon content surveys that you guys submitted. And uh, it's not not a pleasant topic. Um, It's one that we tend to avoid thinking about. And as Missy talked about earlier, it's not really a topic that people know how to think about and how to discuss. And so it gets caricaturized. It gets... Um, there's, there's some insensitivities around it because uh, for most of us, we've all lost love, loved ones. We've all lost family members who, who aren't or weren't followers of Jesus. And, and so that picture that she talked about on that guy's shirt is just, um, it's not very sensitive, right, to this topic. Um, and, and for a lot of us, uh, we may think that's more the reality, but <clears throat> I'm going to present some things to you today that hopefully will help you uh, figure out more how to think about this. So before we jump into hell specifically, what I want to do in your R3s right now, and if you're not in your R3 right now for whatever reason and you're, you're uh, by yourself or with your family, do this exercise as well. Uh, what I want you to do <clears throat> is brainstorm in the next minute or two minutes, however long you want to take as your R3 leader, because you can pause this thing, but we'll give you a minute on screen. Uh, I want you to take at least a minute and brainstorm as many characteristics of God as you can. So you want to find, you want to just brainstorm God's character traits. And we're going to start there today. Let's just brainstorm God's character traits and, and write down as many of those as possible. And, and so, um, yeah, we're going to give you a minute to do that on here. Go.
All right. Uh, hopefully uh, you talked about, um, and, and hopefully some of you guys learned some characteristics that uh, you didn't know about God, but hopefully you listed his goodness, right? God is good. Uh, God is love. God is holy. God is just. God is merciful, right? Mercy meaning he, uh, he um, doesn't give us what we do deserve. He is compassionate. He uh, is gracious, so God gives us uh, what we don't deserve. Um, he's immutable, if you want to get really theological. Um, he, um, he is also uh, forgiving. He is kind. He is gentle. He's long-suffering. He's patient with us, right? Um, God uh, is uh, is peaceful, right? So uh, all these all these things that that are characteristics of of who God is, and I want that to inform us as we talk about this topic because I want you to remember, and I want you to be reminded that God is those things, right? He's he's not uh, like like the gods of Olympus who are toying with us. Right in, in Greek mythology, he's not uh, the gods in the Old Testament that um, are essentially demons that uh, the people chase after the Baals and the Ashtoreths and and Chemosh and all those and all those gods, or even in the Greek uh, in in the Greek New Testament, you know, where where you have the Temple of Artemis and things like that. Um, He's, he's not like those gods who are waiting to punish the people. Uh, God is a benevolent, loving God who is pursuing you, who has pursued us to show us his love through Jesus taking our punishment on his behalf and Jesus accepting the consequences of our sin, the fullness of it and the fullness of God's wrath so that we might have life. Uh, because the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, God is also holy and he's just, right? Those are, those are things, God's justice and his holiness that pair with his love, right? That go with his love. So um, if we just emphasize his, if we just emphasize his love and his goodness, then we come up with the question, well, how, how can God You've probably heard this before. How can God send people to hell if he's those things? Um, well, also we got to consider God's holiness and his justice, right? And his fairness, right? And, 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 and those things that go along with that. So uh, because God has also chosen to give us freedom of, of choice, freedom of uh, moral choice as, as, uh, more specifically or free will right? More generally. He's given that to us. So he doesn't force us to experience his love. He doesn't force us to love him. He says, hey, it's, it's your choice. So um, that lays the groundwork for why a hell might exist, okay? And we're going to talk about uh, different views of hell in a second. But I want you to remember again that uh, God is a benevolent God, but he's also a just God. And so there's, there's, um, there's a fullness to God that we need to recognize before we talk about this. So we're just going to talk about hell right now in four different views. Now, there's a bunch of different views of, of hell and what it is and all those things. Uh, so is hell a physical place? Is it a literal place? Is it just spiritual? Is it symbolic? Is it 
Uh, I mean, there's all kinds of iterations in here, but I'm going to distill it down to four views. And the first one is, well, there is no hell. Right? That's, that's the first one. There's no hell. Basically, when you die, you die. And if you're in Christ, you live. Right? So it's not saying there's no afterlife. It's just saying hell is this non-existence. Uh, so there's no literal place. It's just... It's just gone. And, but if you're in Christ, you live. Uh, then there's the traditional view uh, or, the, or the orthodox view of hell. Um, and this is, uh, this is the traditional view because I, <laughs> I think we struggle to think about hell. And we struggle to really understand what is happening in the scriptures. Now, in the scriptures, there's no one place where we can go and it gives us the doctrine of hell. That's the issue. That's why we don't know a whole lot, because we're piecing together different, different things, which means that there's going to be different interpretations. Okay? And, and here's the thing. If Jesus really wanted us to know, if God really wanted us to know what hell was, and it was essential for your faith, he would have told us. But he didn't. So a lot of this is speculation, guys. Which is why we haven't talked about this at Trinity Life before. Because we don't like to um, focus on speculative theology. So I'm trying to give you this so that we can learn how to think about this together. Or that you can learn how to think about this too in your R3s and, and individually. But... But what I want you to know is a lot of this is speculation. You had to piece it from other places. And so many of these verses, you can justify with any of these views, okay? Which is why there's at least four of them. So, no hell, then the traditional view. Like I said, this one I think needs a little bit more thinking on. There's a history to the traditional view, which when you go back to Dante's Inferno, a lot of our imagery for the traditional view comes from that literature, Right? Not from the scriptures. Now, the scriptures also have some of that imagery Dante's using from the scriptures, but he's only using a few, a few passages. So, um, know that in the traditional view as well. Here's the traditional view. Uh, I mean, basically, um, hell is an eternal place, a literal eternal place of conscious torment forever. And so if you are not in Christ, you go to hell and you're there forever. Just like if you are in Christ, you go to heaven and you're there forever. Now, even that traditional view of heaven needs some rethinking because um, here's the thing. You don't go to the place heaven forever. Actually, God creates the earth anew for us, right? There's a new creation. There's a restoration of reconciliation that happens here. And we are living in a new Jerusalem here. So a lot of people's eschatology um, and understanding of, of things in the afterlife and the last things uh, is off there too. Um, so uh, that's the second view. The third view is what's called conditional immortality. Or annihilationism. So conditional immortality means that we are not innately immortal. Your soul is not innately immortal. If you're in Jesus, if you've 
accepted Christ and your follower, your follower of Jesus, you receive eternal life. You receive immortality. Now, I quoted Romans 6.23 earlier. That's, that's kind of a verse that talks about this. The wages of sin is death, destruction, you're gone. Uh, the free gift of salvation is, is eternal life in Jesus Christ. And so you receive that. So if you, if you aren't in Christ, you um, go to hell, which is a literal place of conscious torment, but it's not eternal. You eventually get annihilated. You eventually cease to exist. Uh, but you do have to still pay a penalty. You do still have to pay um, the consequences. And so for the wickedness you did in this life, for the, the amount of chaff you built up, essentially, that has to be burned up. It has to be burned up, and that's why uh, how it talks about fire. There's a lake of fire. There's, there's um, uh, the weeping and gnashing of teeth, you know, things like that. Um, and so the chaff has to be burnt up. And when it is, because you don't have the blood of Christ, because you don't have the Spirit of God, well, then eventually your whole sinful flesh uh, gets incinerated and annihilated. I know that sounds, all this sounds bad. All this sounds, I know you're, you're probably cringing. I'm kind of like, wow, man, that is um, not where I want to be. And I, I don't relish the thought of those I know who have died being in a place like that. Um, uh, but uh, that should spur us on to, to love and to good works and to good deeds. Uh, because we're even, because, um, in all these views, in these first three views, there is some sort of hell, right? Even with the no hell one, well, there's a, there's a cease to exist, right? In the middle two, uh, there's some conscious torment that happens. Um, and then there's a fourth view. Fourth view is universalism or sometimes called restorationism, uh, meaning that basically all people go to heaven. Now, there's different iterations of this of this view. Um, so it doesn't mean that when everyone dies, everyone just goes to heaven. Uh, there's still there's still a hell, but it's temporary, right? And instead of being annihilated, you pay your penalty because you didn't accept the penalty of Christ. Um, you end up paying your penalty, um, and you end up coming to Jesus eventually. Um, through paying that penalty, and after that, you're you're in eternity in heaven uh, with Christ, and uh, and so uh, that's why it's called restorationism sometimes because there's a rest there's a restoring of creation. Now, these last two have appeal for a couple of reasons uh, because the traditional or slash somewhat orthodox. I hesitate to call it orthodox now because I think it used to be orthodox, but it, it's changing. The, the, the scenery is changing rapidly, the theological scenery. So um, uh, in the traditional view, it, it seems to... So in the traditional view, there's a place of sin and torment that empowers... The enemy, essentially, the devil and his minions and his demons, 
to exist forever. And if you, and if you remember when, when before creation, God was in perfect harmony. Then creation, everything was perfect and very good. And then the fall happened. And, and, and everything wasn't perfect. And we'll talk about biblical theology in, in a few weeks, but then redemption happens, then restoration happens, uh, and things are restored. And what the traditional view doesn't address is if everything's restored, if everything's reconciled to God, why is there still a hell where people aren't, re- aren't reconciled to God? What the other, the last two deal with is the, this is um, conditional immortality and then restorationism or universalism. What they deal with is that question. It's like, oh, wait, God, if he's going to fully restore and reconcile all things to himself, then how can there be a forever hell of conscious torment? Doesn't he have to restore everything? And then the annihilationist view says, well, yeah, he restores it in this way. They cease to exist. And so then creation is fully restored. The universal view says, well, um, they don't cease to exist. They make up for it, make up for it until um, everything is restored and reconciled to God. So those are your four basic views. Um, have fun discussing those in your R3 groups and, uh, and yeah, chatting about that. Again, at the end of the day, we just don't know. Um, but here's a C.S. Lewis quote I want to give you guys, because he says, he says this, and this, this, I hope this helps you think about hell in a different way, because it's hard for us to reconcile a good God with hell sometimes. Uh, but C.S. Lewis says this, he says, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. So he's saying here, just to break it down briefly, um, two kinds of people, uh, those who want God's will, so they follow Jesus, and those who want their own will, so they don't follow Jesus. And God doesn't force them to love to love him, so he says, Here's, uh, this is what you wanted. And, um, and C.S. Lewis also goes on to say, like, the door from hell is locked from the inside. They chose this. They wanted this. They wanted to be there. Um, and, and you could say, well, they didn't know it was going to be like that. Uh, so they don't want to be there now, right? And that is, that, uh, is an argument against what he's saying. But, but basically, the, the point he's making is, hey, we all have a choice in this life. And, and we get to choose. And, and, uh, and it's our duty, it's our responsibility to show others the love of God so they can choose the love of God and they can experience the love of God because essentially that's what we want, want for them. And, this, and since this is speculative, it doesn't, doesn't mean we can't talk about it, but it does mean you shouldn't dwell on it. What you should do is say, hey, at the end of the day, I have no idea what happens after I die. And we have some idea, I guess. Um, but I have no idea how, what the specifics are, what that looks like. But I do know what I do know I can go with. And what I do know is 
Jesus has paid the penalty and the, and taken the consequences for my sin. And if I don't accept the blood of Christ, I don't want to have to deal with those in the after in the next life. I want Jesus, and I want Him to deal with that now because He's done that freely on my behalf. And that's what we get to offer people. And and I want to experience the abundant life with Jesus. Why wouldn't I, right? And so we get to show that to people here in this life. And, and so um, in the next life, we can experience bliss with Jesus. So here's, here's something, though, I also want us to think about. So this is kind of a little thought experiment. So we're going to walk through this a little slowly. I want to pause and give you some time to think a little bit here and there. Um, but think about this question. What if... You died today, and the way you are right now in your walk with God, in your struggle with sin, and um, and just how you live, is how you're going to start in the next life. What if you died today, and your state of being now? your maturity in Christ, how you follow Jesus, your devotion to God, the sins you struggle with even, your attachments. What if that was how you started in the next life? You see, most people think or at least assume, because I don't know if people have thought about this, um, Most people assume that when you die, there's an instant, immediate transformation. So, let's just take the Pope or Billy Graham, you know, someone like that, who's just fully devoted to the life of God, Mother Teresa, who's done, who's done, um, who just served others and gave their life to God. Uh, And then there's you. And there's them. Most people think when, like, if we died on the same day at the same time, we would enter heaven in the same way. But if you struggle with things that they don't struggle with, if, like, if, if you haven't been fully devoted to God here, but they have, what makes you think the next life it'll be different like that, just automatically different? This is a thought experiment. I don't know. What is it going to be like, right? It's just, we're just thinking here, trying to help you like, with, with how to think. And like I said, many of us assume that we'll just be on the same level, same playing field as those who pursued God and became more like Jesus in this life. Because this life, if you're a follower of Jesus, your goal, one of your pursuits is to become more and more like Jesus every day. Guys, I pray that almost every day. Jesus, make me more like you. Fill me with your spirit. Speak, Lord, that your servant hears. I want to be more like you today, Jesus, than I was yesterday. Right? And so in this life, we're preparing for that. We're doing that. We're we're trying to be more and more like Jesus. And Paul actually talks about different levels of heaven, right? And and, uh, and, and the Bible talks about different rewards and crowns of righteousness in, in the scriptures, right? So, 
your experience of being with Jesus, according to the scriptures, according from what we can tell in the scriptures, isn't going to be the exact same as someone in this life who was more prepared than you were to meet Jesus. That's pretty wild. That's, I don't know how many people think that, that have thought that far, and I'm trying to help you think through that right now. And before you appeal to a passage like Matthew 20, which is the parable of the laborers where, where um, the, the landlord goes out and he gets all these laborers to work in his, his farm, and he pays them the same amount at the end of the day. Those who came the last hour, he pays the same amount. Those who came and worked for the whole day, he pays the same amount. That refers to salvation. We're not talking about salvation, right? Like, we both have the blood of Christ when we enter into heaven. You and Mother Teresa both have the blood of Christ covering you when you enter into heaven, right? When you see Jesus. But is your experience going to be lacking until you've fully transformed because you weren't prepared enough in this world? Now, that's a parable in Matthew 25 of the ten virgins. You have ten virgins, five, they, or ten of them all have oil lamps. Five of them have oil and extra oil. The other five don't have extra oil. They weren't prepared. At the end of it, they missed the whole thing. They missed the bridegroom. They missed his coming because they're all trying to prepare. And Jesus says, I never knew you. Guys, does Jesus know you? So we get caught up in thinking about hell and the afterlife, but what about this life? Guys, do you really think that if you love Netflix more than you love reading the Bible, you'll even like heaven? Do you think that if you don't devote your life to serving others here in this life, that in heaven you'll automatically enjoy washing everyone else's feet? This is what I'm talking about, your experience, your experience with Christ. Do you think that if you rarely talk to Jesus here, if you rarely pray about other things besides your own needs, that you'll even recognize Jesus when you see him? These are the questions we should be dealing with besides just thinking about well, what these four views of hell and all that. I think a lot of people just assume that, oh, when I'm in heaven, well, I'll automatically devote myself to God and I'll be rid of everything. But according to the Bible, this life is for that. This life is to prepare us. This life is to, is to, um, uh, transform us more and more into, into who Christ is. Guys, Titus 2 says this. This is our passage for today. And we're just going to walk through it really quickly here at the end. This is our passage. 11 through 14, it says, For the grace of God, God giving us something we did not deserve, has appeared. This is Jesus. Jesus has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Everybody has access. 
That's why we can't argue with God if there's a hell or there isn't. At the end of the day, if God wants a hell of eternal conscious torment, who am I to argue against that? I accept that because God has brought salvation for all people. So, verse 12, he's been training us to renounce ungodliness in this life. So you're to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. You're to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in, not the future age, in the present age, in this one. Why? Verse 13, because we are waiting for our blessed hope. Guys, is he your blessed hope? What is your hope in? I think a lot of us have put our hope in something else and we're waiting for that thing. Your raise, your promotion, to make more money, to live more comfortably, your new name, your material possession, your, your, your spouse you hope to have in the future, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, kids. I hope those things aren't your blessed hope. Because you're going to be sorely disappointed. Here he says he's been training us so that we wait for Jesus and his return. That is our blessed hope. He says it is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Because he gave himself for us to redeem us. He bought us. He saved us. He rescued us. He paid a price for us. You were bought with a price, Paul says. From what? From all lawlessness. And to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Who are zealous for good works. Here. As Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his masterpiece, his workmanship. He's created and prepared us beforehand to do good works. That is what we should be focusing on. Jesus has appeared in order to give us the abundant life in this present age. The, and the sufferings we endure here are preparing for us, as 2 Corinthians says, an eternal weight of of glory beyond all compare. So your focus should not be on whether hell exists or not, or heaven and what it's and, and what heaven's like or what hell's like. It should be on this passage, on this working out of your salvation, as Paul says, with fear and trembling and being zealous for good works. So your doctrine of hell should spur you on to good deeds, should spur you on to share your faith, should spur you on to love others, should spur you on to serve others, should spur you on to devote your life to God, should spur you on to know Jesus, to be in his word, to be in prayer, because he is training us to renounce all ungodliness and all worldly passions, and he's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond compare. And and so many of us aren't ready to, to bear that eternal weight of glory. We're too weak. 
We're spiritual babies. And he's preparing us, he's preparing that for us now so that when we see him, when our blessed hope appears in all his glory, you not only recognize Jesus, but you're communing with him. And we get to invite this world into that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you have shown us who the Father is. You're the perfect image of the invisible God. And so make us more like you, Jesus. May our church represent your spotless, blameless, unblemished bride in this world. So that people can see us, as Peter says, as we live out in the good works you prepared beforehand and give you glory on the day of visitation. We are your people for your own possession. We love you, Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen.